Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, for the Fizz Cash this week. Alongside Ian Unsworth, I'm John Eads. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about football. I know you guys don't want to hear. We're going to touch on it a little bit. Syracuse playing NC State. And then we're going to primarily focus on basketball. It's finally here, Ian. It's starting up on Friday against Bryant. Make sure to check us out, though, at orangefizz.net and at orangefizz on Twitter. We got a lot of stuff going up, a lot of good content, a lot of preview basketball stuff. We got our record predictions, preseason award predictions, and, of course, continued football coverage. But, Ian, let's kick it off right here with this football game this week. Syracuse 1-8 and now taking on NC State, who's actually a solid football team, 6-3. and yeah, NC State has had some big wins this year. It, it's It's been up and down, though. A lot of issues at the quarterback position, injuries mainly, are those issues. Devin Leary, Bailey, Hockman, in and out. It's going to be a game on Saturday. No more Friday games, please. That i am had enough of those. Syracuse, obviously, has had enough of those in 2020. 6 p.m. kickoff, and it is the last home game of the year for the Orange. It's weird. There's been a lot of talk in press conferences this week about senior night. How is SU going to handle it? They obviously can't have parents in the stadium. So that that's a big conundrum that Dino Babers and the SU administration is having to deal with. One idea I actually liked, I heard in the press conference, was maybe had the seniors come back next year, I'm sure a lot of them will return, and then walk with next year's senior class. I, I'm, I'm really in favor of that idea. Yeah, it's a good point because, you know, it is senior night and there's a lot of seniors on this team. You know, Jonathan King, uh, Kingsley Jonathan, uh, you know, and many others. I got the name wrong there. But they have the option to return next season. So, you know, obviously they're going to celebrate as if they weren't coming back. But, you know, we could do a whole segment on this and I'm sure we'll get into this in the off season and uh, plenty of articles on it about which of these seniors that can come back will and how bad does Syracuse need them. There's certainly a lot of potential if the seniors come back on a second year in a brand well in this year's brand new defense and you know guys that are are fully developed pretty much as athletes and now have the experience in that new system we'll we'll see that's i think it's all a wait and see on the seniors one other thing we should touch on though um before we really get into this football stuff Floyd Little was moved into hospice care I believe it was earlier this week, maybe last weekend. But uh, Floyd Little, one of the greatest Syracuse players to ever grace uh, the Dome field. 78, a three-time college All-American, was a Hall of Fame running back in the NFL as well with the Denver Broncos. The first Hall of Famer, actually, for the Denver franchise. His number 44 is immortalized both in the Dome rafters and also at Mild High Field. So prayers for Floyd Little and his family, and he will be remembered by us all. An excellent gentleman, a great representative for the university and the football program. There's a reason why he got to wear that coveted number 44, and he certainly lived up to the billing. So our thoughts are certainly with him and his family. It's been a pleasure to be you know, scrolling through Twitter this week, seeing everyone's positive encounters with him just over the years. A, a great guy. I never got to meet him, but uh, I wish the best for his family, and uh, I really appreciate the support he's given to our school over the years. Yeah. Syracuse certainly needs some support in this football program because it's looking pretty lifeless right now. And SU has not been great over the years against North Carolina State. 2-11 and all time, 1-5 and at home. Uh, John, do you want to hit him with the Fizz Factoid before we get into the Wolfpack's key players? 
Sure. So, you know, I always try to brush up on current NFL quarterbacks and where they went to college, especially the really old ones, you know, the Aaron Rodgers and, uh, you know, people like that. So on that note, who is NC State's school record holder for total passing yards? Well, it's got to be Russell Wilson, right? Or Phillip Rivers. I mean, it's one of those two. Russell Wilson was a good guess. I actually forgot he went there originally. Uh, it is Philip Rivers. I, I, I don't know why I ask because I'm looking at you and the script is right there and the answer is right there. So I got to stop doing that. Philip Rivers, baby, just under 14,000 yards. So very he, solid. Long NFL career and, I mean, hey, better than still anything going. Tommy DeVito did last year. Dude, Tommy DeVito is still the team leader in Syracuse passing. I know, I know. That doesn't, I make, look, it doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. Jacobian Morgan. Like, are you kidding me? Jacobian Morgan, you know, like his intangibles and his arm talent, he hasn't he hasn't really done that much over the past two weeks. And against Louisville last week, abysmal. The whole offense was abysmal. I don't think there's anything else we need to say about that. Plenty of articles up on the site orangefizz.net about that dud of a performance. So let's let's look forward. NC State coming off a win over Liberty, uh, which. Thank the Lord. Liberty did not go three for three against ACC opponents. It would be a terrible look for the Atlantic Coast Conference. 15-14 win, a, a downright dogfight. It was nothing like the Liberty-Virginia Tech game a couple weeks earlier. It, it, was a, it was a rock fight. That's one of my favorite expressions. Just a game that was not fun to watch. It was just a ground and pound. I mean, there's nothing much, nothing much positive I can say about that game. Yeah, no, and I'm sure Vegas wasn't expecting it to be such a low-scoring game as well. 15 and 14, 29 points. I'm sure the over-under was somewhere up in the 50s just based on how many points Liberty was scoring against Syracuse uh, and other ACC opponents, Virginia Tech, you mentioned. But that just kind of shows how NC State, while they do score 31 points per game, you know, they can get down and play a little defense as well. Now, they have given up 31 per game as well. But an impressive win for NC State, and Ian, I just had a feeling that the Wolfpack would win that game. Yeah, I mean, Hugh Freeze's luck was sure to run out sometime. I mean, the fact that his kicker made a last-second field goal against Virginia Tech was, you know, that's always sort of a roll-of-the-dice kind of thing, is it not? Your kicker gets lucky. But NC State was the better team. They were the better team last Saturday. That's why they won. And, I mean, NC State has only lost to good teams, too. They lost to Virginia Tech, who was ranked at the time. UNC, who I think we all know is is a fraud at this point, but UNC was ranked at the time. And then Miami, who is consistently top 10, top 15 every single week. So NC State plays to the level of their competition. I think that's a pretty fair conclusion to draw. And I'm not sure that they even lose the game to North Carolina and Miami if Devin Leary's in at quarterback. Bailey Hockman, who, well, let's get into him. Uh, former Florida State quarterback, I'm sure they love to have him calling the, uh, or, uh, you know, throwing the football down to Tallahassee right now. Uh, he transferred, went to a junior, com- junior college, and he was the number one quarterback recruit from that college, and he comes to NC State. Appeared a little bit last season, but now he's stepping in for Leary, who has a broken fibula. He's out for the year. Uh, Hockman has played in four games, and he is 2-2 two and two as a starter. And, you know, his numbers aren't eye-popping, but it's better than any Syracuse quarterback, right? So um, uh, a seasoned guy, so he should be able to light up the Syracuse secondary. And even it doesn't really matter who's playing quarterback for NC State because they have two good running backs. And we've seen Syracuse over and over and over again get decimated by multi-running back systems. Zonovan Bam Knight 
is the is the first guy you need to watch out for 641 yards on the year to about the tune of six per carry seven touchdowns and then ricky person jr the other head of that two-headed monster 4.7 yards per carry and three scores so guys that aren't exactly big play threats all the time but chunk runners and guys that are going to pound the middle of the Syracuse defense two solid backs who are in my opinion are very complete backs Zonovan Knight uh, he had a kickoff return touchdown against Miami a couple weeks ago so he can make plays from anywhere on the field 641 yards six yards per carry like Ian said so like and I'm the Syracuse defense hasn't done well against teams that can run the ball effectively. And as you can see, uh, the Wolfpack have two solid runners. Uh, they also have four really good receivers. It's not really like an offense that has one guy that's kind of, you know, the guy. There's four receivers averaging at least 13 yards per catch. So a lot of big play threats on the ground and through the air. And defensive coordinator for Syracuse, Tony White, is definitely going to have his hands full. Yeah, before last week's sort of, you know, mud bowl against liberty it wasn't actually mud bowl but i'm just calling it that because that's how the game pretty much looked uh hockman put up 265 yards against fsu 248 against miami when north carolina skate scored 41 points and then 215 against unc so he can certainly throw the ball wing it around to as john mentioned a bunch of different guys on the defensive side nc state not much special talent except for the defensive line Two guys that will probably terrorize the Syracuse tackles uh, for four quarters next Saturday. Yeah, and and I think NC State's developed the reputation for having a solid D-line year in and year out of it. You think of guys like Bradley Chubb and several yeah. other guys over the years. Well, they got two more this year in the system. Daniel Joseph and Terrell Dawkins, five and a half sacks for Joseph, four and a half for Dawkins. So between the two, that's... Uh, they as a team they have 27 so that's our that's a third of their production right there and I mean NC State had eight sacks against Syracuse last year and you can make the argument that that line was better than this year's offensive line I mean could be tough I, I have nothing positive to say about the offensive line from either last year or this year uh, but Sean Tucker did look all right last week um, I mean what over 90 yards the only, really the only bright spot that we can point to week after week for the Syracuse team. In terms of Vegas, uh, FPI has North Carolina State, well, they're giving North Carolina State a 72% chance to win this game. North Carolina State is a 14.5 point favorite. Uh, the odds for SU covering that spread are plus 500, or is that money line, John? Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, that is money line. All right. So yes. if you bet $10 on Syracuse to win this game, you might come away with a 50 ball. Uh, the over/under is 52. Uh, I, I don't know. That's that's a tough that's a tough choice. I'm. I feel like in the last couple of fizzcasts we've done, I've been really set on whether I'm taking the over or the under. I mean, of course, I was super hip to take the under. Well, actually, to take the over when Syracuse played BC, and then there were barely any points scored in that game. So I don't know. I'm I'm really torn on this, John. What are you taking? You're you're the you're the big football guy here. I mean, I wish I was. I bet on Syracuse last week, and uh, I think you did too, did you? Oh, yes, we we both did. We yes. sw- swung and missed big time with the Orange. I mean, yeah, eighteen. I took them 18 and a half and whew, wasn't even close. Um, but this week, I'm pretty set on what it's going to be. I, I almost can guarantee the under is going to hit. I think it's going to be similar to last week. It's going to be very one-sided. NC State comes out and wins the game. I don't know. Does Syracuse even hit double digits? I don't know. That's going to be the big question. I think it's a 35-6 kind of game. I don't think it's very close. Um, so I'm pretty set on the under here. 
Yeah, I would not be surprised if North Carolina State covers either. John, we've just pretty much walked through the mire that is Syracuse football. And I think everybody in the 315 is tired of it. Tired, tired, tired of watching Dino Babers' squad go out there week after week and play uninspired football. So let's turn our attention to something new, interesting, and certainly more tailored to the audience on the Hill. Syracuse basketball, baby. That's right. The Orange are back this Friday, 3 p.m. tip on ACC Network playing the Bryant Bulldogs. Uh, So, John, before we get into Bryant, because honestly, there's not much really to talk about with Bryant. Syracuse should handle them easily. Let's talk about what we were expecting from Syracuse this season. Um, On the website, there is a a whole list of Syracuse basketball articles. I know I wrote a piece previewing the guard position, and we've got other positional previews going up soon. We have some team award predictions, record predictions coming out soon. So if you missed anything from our basketball coverage, hit up the site, orangefizz.net. We will get you ready for the orange basketball season. So John, all that being said, what are you expecting from Syracuse as a team What player are you expecting to improve the most? Just, there's so much to talk about here. Take me somewhere and we'll go with it. Sure. You know, I I think this is a very talented basketball team. A lot of individual talent. Uh, But you raised great points in your article and in several of the preview articles we've had is Syracuse is filled with a bunch of role players. The question is, how can they mesh that all together? There's going to be eight or nine guys that Bayheim can bring in and play. And the question is, how can he mesh that all together to find lineups that work? And can this defense improve? I mean, they were way up in the 100s. And I know there's a, like over 300 basketball teams. It's different than football. But still, good Syracuse basketball teams have been top 50, top 30 in defense. Can Syracuse get better defensively? It all depends on Joe Girard and Buddy Beheim at the top of the zone. I think that was the main issue last year. We saw guards, especially think of like Cole Anthony in the dome, three after three after three after three, uncontested. Also, Ryan McMahon, when Syracuse played in the uh, KFC Yum Center. Let's take a second and admire that absolutely grotesque name that the Louisville Cardinals have placed on their (laughs) basketball arena. But... Yes, Joe Girard III and Buddy Bayheim have to do a better job at just reaching out, contesting. That really falls on Bayheim because he's the long guard. I also think Kadari Richmond is really going to help the Syracuse team on top of the zone. Joe Girard's 6'1", probably 6'3", 6'4", wingspan. He's not a lanky dude. With the zone, you need long guys. The best Syracuse zone I've ever seen was, I believe, in 2013 when they had Michael Carter-Williams and Brandon Trish. Michael Carter-Williams was the starting point guard. He was 6'6", 6'7". Dude had arms like Jack's beanstalk. They just kept going. Kadari Richmond, while he's not Michael Carter-Williams level, you know, athlete, he is long, he is lanky, and he is aggressive on defense. He will be a much better defensive player than Joe Girard. I'm not saying he's a better player overall, but in terms of helping that zone defense, Kadari Richmond will do a lot for the top of the two three and you wrote a great article highlighting things he did well in high school and what he can bring to the table so everybody make sure you go check that article out very um very uh, interactive and very 
descriptive. So check that out. Another guy, another newcomer people have been, you know, kind of excited about is Alan Griffin, who comes from Big Ten country, Illinois. He's a guy, Ian and I are big Big Ten basketball fans, so we saw him quite a bit last year. Uh, and he was one of the most sought-after transfers in college basketball in the offseason. I mean, I remember you and I going back and forth on the day he made his commitment. We were very excited, and it's finally time to see him step foot in the dome and get going. And Thomas Schultz thinks uh, he, he wrote a great piece, kind of a, a preview analytical thing uh, about a make-or-break season here for Alan Griffin. And the question he posed is, uh, does he need to score, or can he score, 15 per game for SU to have a shot this year? And what he's trying to get at is filling the void of Elijah Hughes, a newly drafted member of the Utah Jazz, by the way. Um, so do you agree that Alan Griffin needs to score 15 per game um, for the Syracuse team? I'm, I'm not sure who's going to score 15 a game. Someone is going to have to score 15 a game. I've heard it might be Buddy Bayheim. I think Buddy Bayheim, Joe Girard, and Griffin are those three names that you're really going to be looking at to step up and produce. I'm not sure if Griffin's ready. However, last year, Elijah Hughes stepped up. We, he was really a role player. He, he deferred to Tyus Battle. He deferred to Frank Howard. And then he stepped up and really did an amazing job of filling the void. So can Griffin do that? I'm not 100% sure. At Illinois, he was never the main option. It was always the point guard, Ayodosumu, and then their center, Kofi Coburn, two guys that are probably going to be in the conversation for Naismith Player of the Year this year. Alan Griffin was never, he was third, fourth option, but he got his buckets. He came around screens and jack threes. He made a very nice percentage of them, 42 from behind the arc, 42% that is. And he's shifty enough to get to the basket. He's sneaky athletic. He's got a lot of nice physical traits. But I'm not so sure he's the polished scorer that Elijah Hughes was last season. I think maybe next year, yes, Alan Griffin's going to get it done. This year, though, I, I don't know. I want to see Jim Beheim transition this team into playing team offense, cutting, moving, passing, all that sort of stuff, instead of the iso ball we saw last year, because that is how this team will work the best. And at times, the iso ball worked, right? You know, Elijah Hughes made some miracle plays, some highlight reel type plays in the iso game. And at times, Joe Girard had to do the same. He showed us at times. He has a dribble uh, drive element to his game. He can finish through contact. And, of course, he's money from the free throw line. The question is, can he do that consistently? Uh, there was another great stat that uh, Thomas did an analytical uh, article on Joe Girard's stats, and it shows he played his best basketball against Tier A competition. So the best team Syracuse played, he came to play. He shot the best from behind the arc, three-point shooting. His turnovers were down. Now, one concern that he brought up was his two-point shooting wasn't there. And I think that's because in the games where Syracuse played tough teams, it was all about the iso ball, the individual offense, and Syracuse went away from that uh, you know team offense like you talk about. So Joe was kind of forcing more shots. He was having to create more and obviously that's not his strength you know he's a spot-up shooter but he can do a lot of things but you make a great point Syracuse needs to play team offense this year and I think they have the pieces to do it strength in numbers and team offense will not only have the guard give the guards more space and put a lot less pressure on an individual it'll also get the big men involved some Quincy Garrier spot-up threes if he's really improved his shooting, or some lobs. I would love to see Quincy Garrier showcase that athleticism and play above the rim. Barama Sidibe, let him just work a bit more in the offense, because last year he just kind of stood under the basket, and we were all like, oh, Sidibe's not doing anything because he wasn't asked to do anything. Put Barama Sidibe in the flow of the offense. 
Put Merrick Dolezal in the elbow. Let him create. That's his favorite spot. He can do that one dribble spin. He can pull a little free throw line jumper. That is where Merrick Dolezal is at his best, at the elbow when he is allowed to create. There are a lot of ways to set these Syracuse players up for success, but it cannot be by having them all stand around. There needs to be offensive sets. There needs to be structure, but the structure will allow every single player to then exercise their creative freedoms. Dolezal is my is my main point there. Two other names to keep an eye out for. One, Robert Braswell. Beheim's been really high on him in his early season press conferences, although I feel like Beheim was super jacked up about Braswell last year, and then we didn't see him at all. I think it was the injury risk there, but eh, I don't I don't know. I'm not sure what to expect with Robert Braswell. Still feels like a roll of the dice. And then the second guy, Frank Anselm. He, he reclassified from the class of 2021. He is a young freshman. But apparently, he is the most he is the most athletic center on this Syracuse team. And boy, do we need to see some athleticism down low. Because I'm tired of watching Barama Sidibe play below the basket. So I would love to see Anselm get in there, block some shots, dunk some rebounds, whatever it may be, just to add a different element to this Syracuse team. And some more energy off the bench. That's what I'm really looking for from those two guys. And I think we're going to see big improvements from the bigs this year. I mean, last year, Syracuse just got dominated in the paint. I mean, against North Carolina, the plays are still running through my head. You mentioned the Cole Anthony threes that just kept dropping. But down low, I mean, Kennedy Brooks and North Carolina just absolutely, uh, in the first game, at least at the uh, at the Dome there, um, just dominated down low. Uh, he had a double-double easily. Same with Duke, Vernon Carey, uh, you know, big performance. But my main point here is that, uh, Dolajai and Sidibe made it a point to, you know, eat more, bulk up, get bigger so they can hold their own down there and maybe improve their fundamentals. So instead of, you know, trying to rely more on some things that would result in the foul, they're using their size better to move guys around and, and get more aggressive and grab those rebounds. You know, it's, I wish we could mesh a player together that has Quincy Gurrier's drive or even Dolajai's drive. He's got great drive and you know determination into somebody that's big enough and that can, you know, just dominate down low. So that's something to look out for. Obviously the big question, and this was a recurring theme last year, can they stay out of foul trouble? Who knows? I mean, let let's like pause ourselves here for a second because Garrison Brooks and Vernon Carey are both extremely elite players. Carey's now in the NBA and Garrison Brooks is probably the preseason front runner for ACC player of the year. So, those those aren't exact those aren't exactly the best examples to use, but a guy like Olivier Saar, who was Wake Forest center and the only big man they had, absolutely dominated Syracuse down the stretch of that Wake Forest game. That's that's a kind of thing that's unacceptable. And yes, I completely agree with you. I think having the depth this year will be super key. Jesse Edwards played ACC minutes last year. Frank Anselm is, as we, as I said before, the athlete, someone who can provide the spark down low. And also Quincy Garrier will not have, to, I, I really hope that he's not forced to play the four for 17 to 25 minutes a game. Now that Dolajai and Sidibe have hopefully recognized the error in their ways of hacking and doing whatever, complaining to the refs. I Some of Dolezal's fouls last year, man, jeez, they, they were terrible. <laughs> yeah. But hopefully yeah. those two get it figured out down low, and Syracuse, as a, big, as a group of big men, is just a more cohesive unit instead of two guys that are stuck out there every single game. 
John, let's move on to Bryant. We've we've talked a lot about Syracuse. Let's preview Bryant for a second. The Bulldogs last year were 15 and 17, ninth in the Northeast Conference. Head coach Jared Grosso brings in nine new players. Had to fill nine open roster spots, but they return a couple of their main scores. Hall Elias Elijahs, excuse me. It's it's an interesting last name. Hall Elijahs is the name. He's a New York native, senior forward. Uh, seven points per game last year. A lot of these guys are JUCO transfers that have just come to Bryant seeking a new home. Elijah's is one of them. He actually came from New Mexico Junior College. So, hey, that you know that's a, that's definitely a place. And the other two other guys they get back, Michael Green the third, averaged nine points a game, and Charles Pride, who actually went to Liverpool High School and was a state champion there back in 2018. He also averages nine a game for the Bulldogs. But... Uh, no, I'm still not impressed by any of these guys watching them play. John, tell me about some of the new dudes on this Bryant team. Some of these guys fill in the nine open roster spots. Yeah, there's a couple more that you got listed here. A guy named Peter Kiss, who uh, averaged six. Did he score six against Rutgers last year? Or? He, he, he averaged six points while playing for the Scarlet Knights. Oh, okay, gotcha. So he's a transfer from Rutgers. Yes, yes. Um, and he averaged, oh, nice. So six points per game. That's not bad. And obviously Rutgers, uh, a solid and up-and-coming basketball school. Syracuse is going to meet them this year in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Um, so he probably just wanted to exit because they were bringing in more high-profile recruits. You know, playing time is harder to come by. Uh, I'm sure we saw him last year when we were watching Big Ten ball. So that's a solid pickup for Bryant. And then uh, Chris Childs, who's a Juco All-American. You got some more on Childs? Uh, he's a big four. I mean, not honestly, not much. Neither of these guys are really impressive. I'm going to be honest, John, this should not be a problem for Syracuse. We should not be stressing about Bryant any more than, you know, I would think anyone is stressing about Bryant because it doesn't matter who the Bulldogs put out there. Syracuse should win this game. Syracuse should win this game. No problem. There should be no Colgate scare last year. No Seattle, North Florida scare like last year. Syracuse should come out, dominate this game from start to finish. It, it shouldn't matter who is on this Bryant team at the end of the day. But of course, you know, it's the first game of the season. Jim Beheim was quarantining for the last, you know, week. So there could be a couple hiccups, but, you know, just based on raw talent and the amount of production Syracuse returns, there shouldn't be any problem. But, you know, expect a few growing pains. But shoot, I'm just excited to see them get back on the floor, see a new team, and, um, you know, just... Uh, I'm excited to see a Syracuse team that's actually, you know, putting out a product that people like to watch. So it all starts on Friday against Bryant. And then, of course, the football game going to follow on Saturday at 6 against NC State. Be sure to check out the site, guys, orangefizz.net. All of our preview uh, stuff is up there, our preseason predictions, uh, awards, all of that thing, all all things of that nature. We're going to give them to you guys, but why do that when you can just go read them? So go there. Continued coverage on Orange Fizz uh, on Twitter. We covered the player press conferences today. A lot of quotes there and whatnot. But let's go ahead and wrap this baby up. For Ian Unsworth, I'm John Eads. Happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy the games this weekend. And as always, go Orange. <laughs>